Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to the fifth episode of season five of the Tom Petty Project podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. Tom Petty Project is a proud member of the Deep Dive Podcast Network, and you can check out all the shows over on the growing network on Twitter, at Deep Dive Podnet. The main two shows I've been nerding out on are at Podcast Will Rock, which covers Van Halen's catalogue, and at Lap Pods, which is a deep dive into all things Queen. Not the monarch, the imperious rock band. I also have Maiden A to Z on my to-listen list once I'm caught up on Lap Pods, and there are also lots of other podcasts dedicated to a range of bands from Jethro Tull to Aerosmith to Judas Priest. So lots of rock and metal, but some fantastic folks in all those shows. Go check them out. Anyway, back to Tom Petty. Uh, today's episode looks at Change of Heart, which is the fourth track from the album we're currently listening to, Long After Dark. As always, go give the song a listen before we get started, and after we've finished, if you like, uh, and you will find a link to the track in the episode notes. Change of Heart was the second single released from Long After Dark, at least in the US, and has as its B-side the frivolously fun Heartbreakers Beach Party. Released in February of 1983, the song reached number 21 on the Billboard chart and number 10 on the US rock chart. Uh, it was a live staple between 1982 and 1985 before being revived for a, a brief cameo on Four Dates of the Last DJ Tour in 2002. In conversations with Tom Petty, Paul Zolo asks Tom about those live performances and mentions that both Tom and Mike had said in the past that they didn't want to go back to the place where the song came from, which would seem to suggest that it's a, a direct commentary on Tom's personal life. Tom says, we played it so much in those days, and we did do it live later. We did it just out of the blue when we did the last DJ tour. For the encore, we did a few oldies for the people for sitting through the new album. The song was Tom's attempt to write something inspired by Jeff Lynne's use of chords in Electric Like Orchestra, uh, yellow, and particularly the song Do Ya. When you listen to that track, and again, I'll put a link in the episode notes to that, you can certainly hear the influence. Tom reveals that he wanted Jeff to produce the Heartbreaker's second album, You're Gonna Get It, but that never worked out. So what a wonderful twist of fate that, you know, a decade later, he would form a band with Jeff Lynne, uh, along with a couple of his heroes, um, Travel Mulberries. Um, Tom tells Paul that the song started just with those big aggressive chords and no idea of where the lyrics would go, and the song is most definitely characterised by that simple, bone-dry riff. Straight away, I love the tone of that guitar. It's a very flat sound with little reverb and lots of mid and treble, and not much bass. It's one of those grey, sort of face-melting tones that reminds me of early Aerosmith, or even The Clash, maybe. After a short half-bar counting on the sticks, the song pummels straight ahead. And with the tone all in that mid and treble space, Howie's bass line matching the riff really stands out and it's beautifully clean and clear. And then you get Mike's mandolin-esque second guitar part coming in after the first four bars. But after that, really direct intro, we're straight into the first verse and the second guitar drops back out to give all the space to the guitars and the vocal. You know, and up to now, into that sort of through the intro and into the verse, uh, Benmont's song is not audible, certainly not on the studio recording. And when you watch the live video, you can see he's playing very little there too through the verses. In the pre-chorus, we get the dynamic shift into the open chords with Mike adding sort of very simple two and three note fills as well as the minor chord change. We also hear Tom take the edge right off his voice and croon his way almost through this section before building the rasp back up as Stan crashes us into the chorus with those huge floor Tom snare hits. Um, Stan sounds like, you know, he sounds like he's trying to nail his drums down to the ground with bottom-like intensity. 
The chorus then rips right back into the main riff with Benmont's organ now sitting in that treble space to lean back into that sort of bigger, fuller sound that the Heartbreakers like to do during choruses. And the organ part that he's playing, again, is really subtle, and as usual, it's just providing that sonic width to the upper range frequency. Again, as usual, Jimmy Iovine and Shelley Yakis get the mix exactly where it needs to be. And as the last chords of the chorus decay, you really hear that organ shimmering through the, the lead back into the second verse. If you listen really carefully in that last measure, right around 108, 109, there's another sublimely subtle little string bend from Mike, mixed more into the left channel that I simply hadn't noticed before. And I know I've said this a zillion times already, and I'll probably say it a zillion and thrice more, but all those simple elements of these songs, they don't need, quote-unquote, need to be there. And likely the song would be just as strong without them, but they really do make everything just that little bit more intricate and interesting. Another little creative decision that you can miss is how Stan leads out of the pre-chorus into the verse. So out of that first verse, you know, he has those titanic floor tom and snare hits. ba 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 ba. But if you listen to how he comes out of the second pre-chorus, the last hit is actually a snare flam and not a snare paired with the tom. So for you non-nerd, non-drummers out there, a flam is when you hit a drum, it's usually the snare, with both sticks at slightly different times. So a regular snare hit would be ba. And a flam is more ba So you do that by lifting one hand higher than the other and dropping them onto the drum with the same velocity, achieving that double hit. Almost, It's almost like an echoed sound. So if you think about, that's your regular snare hit, and a flam is, so it's almost like da right? So that's the, that's the sound you get. And so, again, Stan just drops that in to that last note coming out of the second pre-chorus into the second verse. So again, it's just a neat little touch to take the song somewhere slightly different without you necessarily hearing it or noticing it. In the chorus, you also hear some tambourine playing double time to, again, add a little bit more texture into that percussive section. And another thing I hadn't noticed until tonight was during that last four bars of the chorus, where it shifts to that minor and suspended progression, Benmont's playing C-A in that sort of A minor chord on the piano. It's mixed fairly low, and it's just those two notes in this run-through, but it's one more small detail that I think shows how focused the Heartbreakers were on putting exactly as much into a song as they could without it ever being too much. I talked last week about how much I love the bridge to Deliver Me, the song we talked about last week. The middle eight section in this song is way more simple, and rather than sort of relieving tension or changing the tempo or tonality of the song, it sort of just changes the chord progression slightly and leans into that pre-chorus open chord feel. And it does have that characteristic heartbreakers extra bar leading out and into the chorus and outro, but rather than the tone of the bridge changing... Um, this time it's the lyrics, and I'll talk about the lyrics shortly, but up to this point, they're much less definitive in projecting the singer's feelings. You know, the verses and chorus feel very much like someone trying to work through and arrive at a decision, where the bridge feels more like that decision has actually been reached. In the last chorus, we get Benmont higher in the mix again, and that piano fill actually becomes a broken A minor chord, so three notes now instead of two. And we also hear Mike cut loose with it. You know, it's as close to a solo as this song gets in that, in that fade-out. It's almost more like an extended guitar fill, but the tone and the way that Mike plays it really reminds me of some of the licks and choices he makes on the instrumentation that would go on to become Boys of Summer, Don Henley's song. You know, it just has a sort of a similar vibrato and depth to the guitar tone to my ear. So if you listen from about... I know, 250, that's where he starts putting in those slides and that, that sort of that distinct vibrato. One last thing I noticed before and wondered if I'd imagined it and found out when I was listening through again tonight that, it, that I haven't, is a really noticeable sort of, it's, a, it's, not a, it's not a bum note, but it's a discordant note, or it sounds discordant at 310 in that outro. You know, it's repeated as part of a fuller chord as the song is almost fully faded out and it's definitely just a suspended note. It's not a, it's not a bad note. But that first instance is mixed so high that it sounds, it just sounds a little bit jarring to me. 
So I haven't said much about Howie so far on this album. And again, on this song, he's just holding down that bottom end. He does add in some neat little broken chords in the pre-chorus and drops down to the lowest notes in the chorus, which again gives it a really sort of booming bass quality. But overall, it's mainly just sitting underneath the riff and taking up the bass frequency that the guitar doesn't occupy. There might also be a little bit of Howie being new and finding his feet in the band. You know, coming into the band, not really being primarily a bass player for most of his career to that point, it's probably easier just to keep it safe and simple. And he does that wonderfully well throughout this entire record. Okay, folks, it's that time again. It is time for some petty trivia. Your question from last week was this. Of the 16 Heartbreakers and solo albums, two contain three songs with the word you in the title. Which two albums are they? So I made it a little bit easier and I gave you this one in a multiple choice format. So the choices I gave you were A, You're Gonna Get It and Long After Dark. B, Full Moon Fever and Hypnotic Eye. C, Echo and The Last DJ. Or D, Wildflowers and Hard Promises. So as I mentioned in last week's episode, I've started making these questions multiple choice and I'm going to post them all as polls on Twitter just to give it a bit more, you know, we have a bit more fun with it. So the result of the poll this week was a dead heat between options A and D, with both receiving 38.5% of the votes. So that means that 38.5% of you were correct. The answer is, drumroll please, Wildflowers and Hard Promises. From Wildflowers, we have You Don't Know How It Feels, You Wreck Me, and Crawling Back to You. And from Hard Promises, the three songs, all from side two, are Letting You Go, I Think About You, and You Can Still Change Your Mind. I would add that I wasn't counting your, you've, or you'll, even though you could make a you know a strong literary argument that those are contractions and that the word you does appear. But thankfully, it wouldn't have actually made a difference to the pairs that I picked, so I think the question was as clear as it needed to be. Your question this week is this. Which one of the following is not a side project for at least one of the Heartbreakers? So your options are A, Speaker Wars, B, Blue Stingrays, C, Silver, or D, the 360 Band. So which one of those does not feature a current or past Heartbreaker? Okay, back to the song. Vocally, this is Tom getting further into that sort of head voice range rather than his chest voice and really clipping off his vocal in the verses. The first half of those verses are pretty much all single-syllable words, which allows Tom to deliver them very rhythmically to match the, the sort of the meter of the riff. He's not in full refugee snarl, but he certainly builds into that. So when he goes into It Gets Me Down, that's where we get that trademark petty rasp to lead us into the chorus. You also hear Howie's superb high harmony in the chorus, which would become so much a trademark of their live act. The bridge features another vocal change with Tom letting the words trail off and not finishing the syllables. So, whoa, yeah, oh boy, and oh me, oh my, drift into a fade beautifully. Lyrically, it's another excellent piece of concise, direct songwriting on this album and features some really, really, really strong lines. First of all, the verses don't have a consistent, you know, stereotypical rock rhyming scheme, and Tom loved to play around with that form. The first verse has the second and fourth lines coupled, but the second verse has no rhyming scheme at all. Long and wall and the second and fourth lines almost get there just by dint of how Tom bends those syllables, 
But that lyric is obviously too good to sacrifice to something as boring as convention. You know, I'll get over you. It won't take long. I've stood in your gallery, seen what's hanging from the wall. And we've talked before about how good Tom was at cramming, you know, seemingly too many syllables into a phrase. And he does it again with that last line. And it's such an evocative line. I've stood in your gallery. You know, I've seen your personality. I see what truly drives you. You know, I've seen what's hanging from the wall. I know you're not the person you appear on the outside. So that's just, again, it's so, it's so broad as to apply to most people in their lives, but also written from a standpoint of Tom's singing about his own hurt, I think, there. I also love that first pre-chorus. You never needed me. You only wanted me around. It gets me down. Oh, man. You know, I think most people have had that experience of being around someone who's using them for their own end rather than actually wanting to be part of a full, engaged relationship. And those three lines express it much more succinctly than any self-help book ever could without being prescriptive about any sort of remedy. Okay, folks, that's all for this week again. Um, I find it genuinely astonishing that Change of Heart didn't make it onto the Greatest Hits album. I know that executives like having new tracks on those releases, and you have to argue that Mary Jane's Last Dance is actually a Greatest Hit, one of the very few sort of new tracks on any Greatest Hits that actually belong there. But I would make a strong argument, I think, that this song should have replaced their cover of Something in the Air. For me, it's just a perfect pop rock song. Tom tells Paul Zolo that it's not one of my great songs, but it's a good rock song. And I think that simple doesn't necessarily mean not great. Again, the beauty of this song for me is at least partially down to the economy at play. Let the riff drive the melody, let the rhythm section keep the tempo high and, you know, danceable even, um, and let the lyrics tell a story of disenfranchisement and loneliness. I don't know exactly how you define great, and maybe we'll get into that more once we hit Wildflowers, but to me, this is a really accomplished, very well-written track. I think it falls just short of You Got Lucky on this album, but only because that song is so unique and has such a very distinct personality. So I'm going to say that, for me, Change of Heart gets an 8 out of 10. Um, Please remember, as always, that you can continue to support humanitarian efforts in Ukraine in many different ways, and I would urge you to do so if you have the means. As always, the link is in the episode notes to the Red Cross donation page, um, and that'll stay there for as long as is necessary. I did want to say at this point a quick thanks to my friend Pete Nestor uh, for flagging my using the archaic the before Ukraine. I was always saying the Ukraine. And I didn't actually realize that this is a throwback to when Ukraine was a part of the Soviet Union. So since Ukraine secured its independence, the article was dropped and the country is now simply Ukraine, not the Ukraine. Thanks also to my friend and colleague Natalia Morgan, who's a first generation Ukrainian and clarified this for me. My apologies if my use of the incorrect name caused anyone any offence. Please know that this occurred out of ignorance rather than any sort of intent. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at the Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. And of course, you can always find me on YouTube. So go follow, like, subscribe, all those types of things. And again, I always say, but just leave a review or a rating if you haven't done already. It makes a difference with algorithms and that kind of stuff. And, you know, if you don't want to leave a review or a rating and you just want to keep listening, that's perfectly great too i don't i don't mind at all um keep talking to me on social media again the conversations that i have with you guys are a huge part of why i enjoy doing this podcast and what keeps me coming back and doing these things um 
Also, don't forget that the Tom Petty Project is not affiliated with the Tom Petty Estate in any way. And if you're looking for Tom's music, please visit the official YouTube channel uh, to find what you're looking for or go to you know Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your, your streams. Um, and make sure you go to TomPetty.com for official merchandise. Speaking quickly of merchandise, don't forget to go check out my website and have a look at the merchandise um, we have available for sale. All the money made from sales of that merch is donated to Music Cares to support artists and people working within the music industry. And especially during and in the aftermath of the pandemic, independent artists really need our support. So I figured, you know, that's a good charity to send that money to. Um, also, make sure that if you're on Facebook, go check out the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups. Um, they're fantastic fan communities and they are well worth spending your time in. So until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week to dig into the last track from Side One of Long After Dark, the Mike and Tom collaboration, Finding Out. Bye-bye. <laughs>